is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. chapter 3, verse 2, not the entire verse, but just the middle sentence, please. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Would you join with me and let's read that aloud together once, but let's not just do it out of routine or let's do it as a prayer. Can we do that today? Oh Lord, say it together. Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. You may be seated here this morning. The year was 622 B.C. King Josiah sat upon his throne. And it was during his reign that Israel experienced a move of God. It was in his reign that the high places of pagan worship were brought down. It was in his reign that sacrifice and worship unto God was reestablished. It was during his reign that a change took place in the Old Testament church because a people who had turned their back on God a people who had walked so far from him that they had been punished. God said, I had taken my power and I had taken my presence from you. Your enemy had defeated you. You did not have me backing you up. But yet it was during this revival, it was during this move of God that the people of God turned back unto the Lord. They became his people and he once again became their God. And literally the entire Israel nation changed for the better. But now, we are some 17 years past that revival. In the year 605 B.C., it goes backwards before you get to Jesus. In 605 B.C., Habakkuk the prophet is looking once again over the Old Testament church. And as he looks at them and he evaluates them, he realizes something is wrong. He realizes that those people who just 17 years prior had been transformed who had been revived, who had been restored, had now turned back to where they once were. He noticed that worship unto God was no longer the primary focus, but yet those high places of pagan worship had once again been rebuilt. 
pagan and idol worship had become prominent amongst the people of God. And he noticed that they were not living according to the law. They were not living according to the statutes of God. And, and in all actuality, the entire nation of Israel had turned their back on their God. He was no longer their God, nor were they any longer his people. And as he glanced over them, something began to stir in his heart. Something began to yearn inside of him. Something began to ache him spiritually. When he looked at their state, when he looked at their spirituality, when he looked at just who they were, and he began to cry out with all of his heart, Oh Lord, please revive your work in the midst of these years. You see, when I look today at the state of the American church, a church in which I have had the privilege to visit, I have been in every kind of church you can think of. I have been in big, I have been in small, I have been in contemporary, I have been in traditional, I have been in black, I have been in white, I have been in Native American, I've been in Hispanic, I've been in every kind of culture you can think of. I've been in Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal. I've been in those that claim to be Pentecostal but were not Pentecostal. I've been in every kind of, I've been in multiple states. And as I look at the state of the church, I've noticed something's wrong. I've noticed that a people that once were solely God's people, a people who once loved nothing more than to worship and to praise their living God, a people who at one time had no other focus in life than pleasing the Lord God Almighty, have suddenly stopped being his people and he had stopped being their God. I go back in our history and I, just like Habakkuk, can go to a place where at one time a move of God had happened. You see, Habakkuk was there in Josiah's revival. Habakkuk saw the moving of God. Habakkuk experienced the presence of the Lord in such a real manner that it grieved him when he realized that the church of his day was not experiencing what he had once experienced. You see, I can go back to so many revivals. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had carried a group of ministers for a grassroots tour and a time of fasting and prayer. And we had gone to what we now know as the Shear Schoolhouse Foundation. This was the place in 1896 where a moving of God took place in western North Carolina. This was a moving of God that happened when over 100 people were gathered in that little school building seeking the face of God who had experienced the sanctification of the blood of Jesus Christ. They were a group of people who were unlearned. They were a group of people who had been displaced and who were far removed from the big city life of that day. They were a people in the Unicoi Mountains who knew nothing 
but farming, who knew nothing more than grill, uh, grill miswork, and, and they knew nothing more than poverty. And yet in the midst of all of that poverty and in the midst of all of that displacement, the glory of the Lord came down, and over 100 people were baptized in the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And a revival began to sweep across not only North Carolina, but Tennessee and Virginia and down into Georgia and many other places. Oh, but it wasn't just there that a miracle happened and a revival took place. Not long ago, I was preaching in Louisville, Kentucky. The pastor decided to carry me to a place that you might have heard of. It is called Cane Ridge. At Cane Ridge, in a little meeting house, they called it, there was a group of people who were not Pentecostal. It was at the end of 1899 and the beginning of 1901. A preacher by the name of Barton Stone arrived. And as he got into this little church that was built of nothing more than just a few boards and a little bit of mortar, he stood behind this pulpit looking as the African Americans were not even allowed at that time to sit in the rest of the sanctuary. They were placed up in a top center because of the movement of racism in that day. There was such a divide. And yet Barton Stone, as he walked into that pulpit, he looked at them and said, you are just as much a part of the church as I am. He integrated his congregation and he began to tell them about the blood of Jesus Christ. And as they took part together in Holy Communion, a revival began to sweep over that little meeting house. And did you know that without even having internet, without having Facebook, Instagram, or any social media, without having television or radio, word began to spread all over that state that God was doing something there among the church. And within just days there were over 20,000 people that had gathered on the grounds there in fact one preacher could not preach because they had no sound system they had to divide the congregation in what we now refer to as brush arbor congregations they would gather under a tree and this preacher would preach the whole counsel of God and they would gather over there and preach the same oh the Bible is such an amazing thing when it talks about how God unites his people through Jesus Christ but listen Listen to what the reporter said from the newspaper. They heard that something was happening and they came to see what was taking place. The reports go like this. We saw blacks and whites worshiping together. We saw people falling out under trances. We heard people as they spoke in foreign languages. We watched people as they ran around the yard and as they barked like dogs. We don't know what is happening, but something is taking place in Cane Ridge. Oh, but then I'm reminded of the great revival in Topeka, Kansas in 1901. At Charles Parham Schoolhouse, there was a young lady who was at the age of 16. She had felt the hand of God upon her and, and she asked the people to gather around her that he would use her for she felt a calling to go into China to preach the gospel as they laid their hand upon her out of nowhere this little girl began to speak in an unknown language that nobody understood they began to switch 
through the scripture, flipping page through page until they found that Acts chapter 2 said that when the day of Pentecost came, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Little did they know that what he had done was not only baptize her in the Holy Ghost, but that he gave her the ability to speak perfect Mandarin Chinese so when she got there, she could win those people to Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the great revival that took place in 1906 in a little horse barn in Los Angeles, California on Azusa Street. A one-eyed African-American preacher stood behind two wood crates and he began to declare the whole counsel of God. As he began to declare the whole counsel of God, all nationalities that were represented in that port city came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And together, they began to worship him in spirit and in truth. And from that little horse barn, men and women who were filled with the Holy Ghost got back onto those boats that were traveling to other nations and went to those nations and spread the truth of Pentecost as we know it today. It was from that little building that the cradle of Pentecost began to rock. Oh, but my mind goes even further. I can carry you to the 20s and the 30s where a great movement of religiosity began to spread. Oh, well, isn't religion bad? No, my friend, when you look at true religion undefiled, the Bible said there is such a thing as true religion. As religion began to spread across this nation, the lives of men and women were transformed. And through the 20s and 30s, we saw some of the greatest growth in our spiritual state as a nation. But then we can go to the 50s and the 60s. We know people by these names, T.L. Lowry, Oral Roberts, and Reuben Jones. A great revival of healing began to take place. In fact, they would have tents that held between five and 10,000 people. They would go and set it up in some, uh, in some vacant lot. And as they would gather, all they'd have to do is place up a sign that Jesus was going to perform miracles. And by the thrones, they would gather together and begin to hear that Jesus Christ could not only save you, but he could heal you of your disease and infirmity. Oh, from there, we began to see a great movement that literally swept across the entire United States. But then we go to the 70s. In the 70s, we hear of the Jesus movement. Anybody ever heard of that? It was a movement where even the hippies and the drug addicts and the prostitutes were finding the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, church of God, it'll work for them just as good as it will anybody else. They began to hear that though society looked at them as being outcast and though society looked at them as being second-class citizens, that Jesus Christ loved them and Jesus Christ cared for them. Those long-haired hippies found Jesus Christ. Those prostitutes learned what true love was all about and they knew right then and there that there was a more excellent way than what they have ever known. But then we go into what we now know as the Neo-Pentecostal movement. In the Neo-Pentecostal movement, there was a revitalization of the Spirit of God in our nation. Did you know that in the 1980s they tell us that such a revival began to take place that even those outside of the Pentecostal movement began to experience Pentecost. There are reports of those in the Methodist, the Lutheran, the Presbyterian, and the Baptist church that were being filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you know that even reports came from the Catholic church that people began to receive the Spirit of God in all of his fullness? Well, Brother Paul, how could they 
do that? Well, they, it was quite simple. They began to realize that there's something more than calling somebody father. There's something more than passing prayer beads through their finger. They found that there was something more than praying to the Virgin Mary. They found out that there was something more than idolizing the apostles. What they found out is that Jesus Christ could save them not because of their works, but by his mercy and by his grace. And they realized that it was not going to be their works that would change the world, but that through the anointing of the Spirit of God, they could transform every nation throughout this world. Oh, there was a great revival that began to take place. Oh, but then we go to the 1990s. When we get to the 1990s, we see a revival that took place in Pensacola, Florida. A pastor had invited a guest preacher to come for a Father's Day service. In that Father's Day service, this preacher, all he spoke about was the father being the priest of the home and how we should lead as godly men. As he called families together in the altar, they began to pray over their children and over their spouses. And, and out of nowhere, a wind began to blow in that sanctuary. The power of God began to overshadow them. And out of nowhere, friend, a revival took place that lasted for three long years. It was said that there were multitudes of demon possessions that had been delivered. There were multitudes of those sick and infirm that had been healed and by the thousands people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The revival was so strong that they would gather together at noon just to be able to get into the church when the doors opened up at 6 o'clock. There was something going on. Oh, but my heart is beginning to break now because we have entered into a new decade. We have entered into a new time. We have entered into the 2000s. When I go back to 1896, I can carry you all the way up to 2000 and tell you that from decade after decade after decade, God poured out his spirit upon this nation and God poured out his spirit upon the church. We were his people and he was our God. But when I get to where we are today, I cannot take you to one place. I cannot take you you to one moment. I cannot take you to one encounter where the glory of the Lord has saturated us, where his power has been preeminent among us. I cannot carry you to one single building where we can say this was the place where a revival broke out. So just like Habakkuk, as I look at what was and see what is, my heart is crying out to him today. Oh God, revive your work in the midst of these years and hear me today. What better people and what better place and what better building for that revival to take place than right here in Fayetteville, North Carolina in the Sapona Road Church of God? I'm telling you here today, something can happen in this church. Something can happen in this atmosphere that will forever change the landscape of this entire nation. Not long ago, I was standing behind a little desk as the cashier looked at me and I was paying for a meal for my family and pastor as I looked she had a plaque behind her and the plaque said at this place in the year 1900 absolutely nothing took place while it was meaning to be funny the spirit of God began to pierce my heart because I thought of how many times we have gathered in our church. How many services we have had. 
where when we left, we should have put a plaque on the door that said, on this Sunday in 2019, absolutely nothing happened. You see, my heart is praying today that after Wednesday evening, we will not just place up a plaque, but we will erect a monument on the grounds that said, at this place, hallelujah, on these days, in the year 2019, something took place that we cannot explain. Something took place that we could not even fathom. Something took place whereby the presence of God Almighty came down and met his people and kissed them with the dew of heaven. And it was from this place that a revival swept across Fayetteville. It swept across North Carolina. It swept across the United States. It has swept across the known world. Hear me today, church of God. It can happen just as sure as I'm standing here. If you want this revival to take place, know this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land, church of God. Let God revive his work here this week. Somebody lift up your hand and help me right now. <clears throat> you see, the thing about revival is we've messed it up. We think that revival is having some shouting message. Something that'll excite you. But see, revival in its original word means to resuscitate, to bring back to life. Now that lets me know something. If we need a resuscitation, if we need a bringing back to life, then that means we're either dead or on our way out. Revive. You see, I have often been told that before you die, your body goes into a comatose state. Now the thing about being in a coma is you do not know that you're dying. They say that your body becomes at such rest that you realize that nothing is wrong. You can't move can't speak, you can't see, but you can hear. And it's said that if you are not awakened from that coma, you will die. Can I tell you here that I believe that one of the great problems of the American church is we have too many comatose state Christians. We have people sitting on our pews. You don't even know that you're dying spiritually. You're just sitting back in sweet repose. You're sitting back in rest as if everything's all right. But it's obvious you're dying. Why? How do you know that? Well, it's obvious you're not moving. Look at the Church of America today. When was the last time you saw a moving church? I'm talking about a church that was getting something done. When was the last time you saw a church 
that was moving in such a manner that it literally got the attention of the community. I'm not talking about hype. I'm not talking about program and activity. I'm talking about a spiritual manifestation whereby it changes the culture and the landscape of the community they're in. It's obvious that we're not speaking. The latest statistics have come out that 98% of so-called Christians have never even witnessed. 98%, you heard that correctly. And it's obvious that we are not seeing. One, we don't see the hour in which we're living. But two, we've lost our vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. It's obvious that we have many people in our churches that are in a spiritual coma. See, the problem with being in a spiritual coma is you don't know it. I want to just ask this question. I'm not pointing fingers. I've not spoken to your pastor. I've just come to tell you what's on my heart today, if that's okay. How many of you are going through the motions? How many of you are doing church as you've always done it? How many of you are living that dead, lifeless Christian life? You think everything's all right but there's no movement out of you. There's no vision in you. There's no speech coming from you. And yet you think that everything's right. See, the problem with that is Jesus said, in Revelation 3 and 1, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. You're dying out. You're fading away. Slipping into the twilight of the night. Can I tell you, unless you are awakened, you're going to sit there and die right in your place of rest. You're going to sit right there and rot away spiritually, right in your place of peace and contentment. You see, the reason we need a revival is not just for somebody to get up here and to give you a Twitter feed sermon with one-liners that's going to excite you and get you shouting. What they need in a revival is somebody that'll come by and do some spiritual CPR and begin to add the oxygen back to you again and begin to do some heart compressions again. And, and what we need is the Spirit of God like those two paddles to lay some oil on it, stick it upon you, and shock you back into life again. Oh, hear me today. When I call for a revival, I'm calling for a revival where those that are dying will be awakened again. David said, Lord, lighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Honey, I've not come by to patty cake. I have not come by to tiptoe through the tulips. I've come by to snatch the covers off of the bed of reality. I've come by to shake you and awaken you and let you know that unless you wake up, it will be too late for you to enter in. I know you wanted something different today, but I, I've got to tell you, my heart is aching for the church. You see, not only do we have those who are spiritually dying, we've got some that are already dead. I want to say that again because I got some looks. We've got some that are already dead. 
Now, the thing about being dead, unlike dying in a coma, in the coma, you don't know you're dying, but you know whether or not you're dead. You see, when I die, I'm going to awaken somewhere, so I'm going to know it, and it won't take long. And spiritually, it's the same way. You know that you're dead. You know that you're not where you ought to be. You know that you've not been reading the word. You know that you've not been in prayer. You know that you've not been attending the house of God as you should. You know that there is no semblance of life in you. And yet, the only thing missing is your spiritual coffin. Can I tell you that there have been some churches that when I walked in, the only way that I could tell the difference between being in a sanctuary and a mortuary was that the bodies were sitting up. You see, the problem with those who are dead is they don't want to hear what I'm preaching today. Because they don't want anybody to stir them. But I'm, I'm kind of reminded of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, the Bible said that the Spirit of God had picked him up and taken him to a valley of dead, dry bones. And when he placed him in that valley, now I like this, let me stop. Did you notice that the Spirit of God is the one that placed him there? It wasn't the overseer. It wasn't even the pastor planning someone else there to do it. The Spirit of the Lord picked him up and sat him there. Honey, sometimes God takes you and puts you where you need to be to cause an awakening. My God, I just felt the Holy Ghost when I said that. Sometimes he places you somewhere knowing that this is not going to be easy, this is not going to be a pleasure walk, this is not going to be smooth sailing, it's not going to be sunshine and roses. Why? Because you're sitting in a valley of dead, dry bones. But thankfully, if the Holy Ghost is the one that will put you there, then it's the Holy Ghost that will sustain you while you're in that valley. The Spirit of God placed him there. When he looks into that valley, he sees this large army. Now notice it was an army that had been defeated by their enemy. Now, in my mind's eye, I imagine because oftentimes when they would kill an army, they would just leave them there. They would not pick up their weapons. They would, not, they would just walk away. So, so just imagine there's a few of them there still with their shields lying there and there chest armor there and their spears and swords but inside of that armor there's nothing there but dry bones now the spirit of God did not just say that they were dry he said lo they were very dry honey there's some bones that are, they've gone beyond just dry they're very dry you see if you think about it they're lying there in the valley 
Could it have been because of the heat of the sun? Could it have been because of the wind that was blowing through? Could it have been because of the rain that was pouring down that the elements around them began to rot away the flesh and it left nothing on there? Could it have been that the vermin up in the mountain had come down and began to pluck off the flesh from those bones and had eaten it away? You know what I've realized? I've realized that there are a lot of dead people in the church that they did not get that way because they wanted to be that way. They got that way because the elements that we call life messed them up. The heat of the day got too hard. The wind blew against them too forcefully. The rain pricked against them too sharply. And it caused them to become very dry bones. And it might have been that there was a vermin that came by. You know, not every vermin walks on four legs. Even Paul asked the question, who did hinder you? Sometimes the vermin come in and pluck the flesh off the people in the church. God looked at Ezekiel and he said, son of man, can these bones live again? He knew they were dead. God knew they were dead and the prophet knew they were dead. And they knew they were dead. Son of man, can these bones live again? Now like any good preacher, when we're unsure about something, we throw it back on God. Oh, well, Lord, you know whether or not they can live again. <laughs> You're God. You, you know what's going to happen here. You know what's going to take place. I can almost hear the Father as he said, I did not ask you whether or not you thought I thought they could live again. I want to know, do you think that they can live again? I don't know, I believe it was a righteous indignation. I believe that some kind of faith supernaturally began to rise up in him. And as he looked over this valley of dead, dry bones, he realized what the father was saying. The father was saying, you don't have to ask me whether or not I believe they can live again. I'm letting you know, son of man, there is nothing impossible with me that anything that is available that, will, that wants to live again, anything that is there that has any semblance of life, he said, I can make it live again. But do you think they can live again? Oh, when that faith began to rise up, in him he looked back at the father and he said well yes Lord I believe that these bones can live again listen to what the father said the father said if you believe they can live again then prophesy over them notice he didn't say add another program to your church I'm going to preach right here this is going to offend some of you okay he didn't say to add another program another activity not to have another sale. He said prophesy over them. Can I tell you the problem with the American church today is we are trying to revitalize our churches off of everything except what we need to revitalize it off of. We're trying to add program and activity and we're trying to add personality. And hear me, I believe in activity. I believe in program. I believe in having the right personality in the right congregation. But that alone will not get it done. The only thing that will work to bring the congregation back to life again is the word of God. It is when we prophesy, not foretelling, but foretelling the whole counsel of God Almighty. It was the apostle that said, Lord, where else can we go? For only in you can we find the words of eternal life. When you 
you prophesy over the people what thus saith the word of God, they cannot help to live again. They cannot help to be revived again. I've come by here to tell you today, I'm gonna give you the word of God this week because I know that in the word of God, there is a life-giving substance in the word of God. There is meat that we can eat from in the word of God. There is water that when we drink of it, we'll never thirst again. In the word of God, we can find that life and we can find it more eternally. Hear me today. It is time that we begin to prophesy. There is not gloom and doom over the body of Christ. There is not a bunch of dead dry bones, but I see something even greater. For the Bible said that after he prophesied over them, the Lord said, all right, you've given them the word. Now begin to call for the wind to blow, honey. The Bible said that he called for the wind of the north, the wind of the south, the wind of the east, the wind of the west, and the wind began to blow him. Oh, I'm not calling for the winds of Hurricane Matthew. I'm not calling for the winds of any other tornado. I'm calling for the wind of the Holy Ghost to breathe by Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm calling for the wind of the Holy Ghost to match up with the word of God and bring life one more time. Hear me today. I've not come by with a negative word of death, but I've come with a word of life. When I look over the Sapona Road Church of God, I do not see a valley of dead dry bones. What I see is an exceeding mighty army that's going to rise up with the word of God in their heart and with the wind of the spirit in their nostril and they're going to move throughout the land winning those who are, oh my God, I feel this today. Something's getting ready to happen in Sapona Road. Somebody come play something for me. I'm getting ready to call an altar call. Listen to me. Notice what the prophet said. O Lord, revive thy work. First of all, he went to the source of revival. You, Lord. I'd like to tell you that because of me, we're going to have revival. But I'd be lying. I'd like to tell you that because of your pastor, you're going to have revival. But that too would be an untruth. Revival is only going to come from him. In that prayer, Habakkuk not only gave us the source of revival, but he gave us the object of revival. Thy work. Listen to me, church of God. Our work has not been working. Our work has not been working. If our work was working, then why is it that every church I go to has empty seats? If our work was working, why have we lost at least 3% of our people every single year since 1999 in the American church? If our work was working, there's still racism in the church why is there still political division in the church why, why are people coming in sick and infirmed and leaving just as they came if our work was working we wouldn't need him anyway But 
Habakkuk recognized that the work that needs to be revived is not ours. It's his work. Because when his work is revived, you will not have to beg people to go to church. There will be brotherhood and sisterhood among the body of Christ. There will be no divisions among us. When his work is revived, you won't have to have just some witness program that you do on Wednesday night to try to teach people how to witness and they don't do it. When his work is getting done, they'll have power to be a witness. When his work is done, you will see the sick and infirm healed by the power of God. But notice, lastly, he gave us the source, he gave us the object. but he gave us the timetable. In the midst of these years, I want to say this, and I hope this is not offensive. If it is, you can apologize to me later. The problem with the American church, and many of us even in Pentecost is we're wanting a revival of yesterday notice that Habakkuk did not say God give us the same revival that you gave them in Josiah's day he said Lord we need a revival in the midst of these years right now, right here for these people. Is it the same God? Yes. And yes, we must hold on to those old landmarks and we must constantly go back to Bethel and we must look back to those things that were. But why, like Habakkuk, am I calling for a revival for today? Because in 1896, they weren't killing 1.3 million babies every year. They weren't passing a law where you can kill that child up to a day before it's born. In 1899, the beginning of 1901, when Cane Ridge took place, they were not dealing with the LGBTQ movement. Trying to destroy the foundation of the family. 1901 and 1906, they were not dealing with liberalism. Throughout the 20s, all the way up into the 60s, they weren't dealing with absolute truths being neglected and cast aside. They were still one nation under God. And, and though in the 60s there was a disruption where prayer and the word were taken out of school, 
By and large, this was still a Christian nation. You see, the reason that I need a revival for today and not the revival of the 80s is because in the 80s, they didn't have people running into schools killing our kids. I don't need a revival for the 90s because in the 90s, they didn't have terrorists who would run planes into buildings and kill thousands of people. See, I don't need a revival even like the one where many of you got saved in. I need a revival for today. I need a revival for this culture. Where 65% of the people of this nation say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. I'm not talking about just Christianity. No religious affiliation. When 58% of the people sitting on our pews have never even heard about the Great Commission and what it is. I need a revival for today. Stand with me. I promise that I'll preach something this week that'll make you happy. At some point, I will, I'm sure. See, we've got to understand that in order for us to have revival, we must first rend our heart and not our garment. We've got to plow up that stony ground. So I believe I laid a foundation for you today of the revival that I'm looking for this week. So my prayer is, Lord, revive your work in Sapona Road in the year 2019. 